This is an educational series by the Ukrainian Fire Chaplain Show. I wanted to give you a heads up that we had some technical difficulty on these four episodes on Ignatius of Antioch. The original seven first episodes of the Ukrainian Fire Chaplain Show were done on Clement of Rome at Ignatius of Antioch on a condenser mic, which failed, and I did not realize that it had failed until after I got into post-production for these four episodes on Ignatius of Antioch. So I had to use some backup audio. I want to give you a behind-the-scenes tour real quick of our studio where I have made some pretty sizable upgrades in order to give you a lot better quality and listening experience. So stick with these four episodes on Ignatius. I did polish the audio quite a bit, even though it's backup, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Thanks. We are continuing with our third episode on Ignatius of Antioch, and this week we're going to cover his letter to the Trollians and to the Romans. We left off um, episode two with talking a lot about church unity. We saw a little bit of his reference to Jesus Christ coming in the flesh against the heresies. We also looked about the importance of the unity of prayer, uh, being subject to the bishop, fullness of the faith, uh, his concerns against the Judaizers and the Gnostics or Docetists at the time. And so as we work through uh, his first epistle here to the Trollians, I'm going to kind of gloss over that a little bit because I think we spent a good bit of time on that last week. So let's go ahead and look at the greeting possessing peace through the flesh and blood and passion of Jesus Christ who is our hope through our rising again to him. Again, he's talking about the literal uh, incarnation, the literal enfleshment that, you know, Jesus was you know, a true human being that lived here, not just a ghost. Uh, skipping now to chapter one, Polybus, your bishop has shown me, who's come from, to Smyrna by the will of God, Jesus Christ. So sympathize in the joy which I, who am bound in Christ Jesus, possess that I behold your whole multitude in him. And he's talking about the, the fullness or their whole congregation there, the whole church. Skip down to chapter two. For since you are subject to the bishop as to Jesus Christ, you appear to me to live not after the manner of men, but according to Jesus Christ who died for us in order that by believing in his death, you may escape from death. So what is he talking about here? By believing in his death, we can escape from death. Don't we all die? Yes. Yeah, so what he's talking about is the second death or from eternal estrangement from God and how Christ came to restore uh, that passageway, that redemption, our participation, you know, in God's nature to become uh, literally gods ourselves. Or as Peter would say, to become partakers of the divine nature now that we become, you know, deities or or gods, but that we share in his nature and we become participators in uh, in, in creation in a real sense, because by sharing in his nature, we bring his divine life to others. You know, we don't participate in creating the universe, but we do participate as members of his church in bringing his divine life to others. And in a real sense, that's, you know, um, as much a share of our participation in divine creation, you know, as it is when a husband and wife come together and create a child. You know, um, there is that participation in, in, in the world and the universe that God expects us to have. So let's continue down here. Without the bishop, you should do nothing but be subject to the priests as to the apostle who is our hope in whom if we live, we shall be found at last. It's fitting also that the deacons being ministers of the mysteries of Jesus Christ should in every respect be pleasing to all. For they are not ministers of meat and drink, but servants of the church of God. 
And some of the modern stuff, especially synthetic into the past 50 years, talks about, well, you know, deacons were servants of tables. They're not really preachers. They don't really have anything to do with the sacraments. And I think that's mistaken because, um, you know, it was St. Stephen, the deacon, who was not only the first Christian martyr accounted for, you know, in the New Testament, but deacons are also preachers of the word. And this whole conception that, you know, all they are is to just be like glorified greeters at Walmart. Um, is mistaken. They are dispensers of the ministries of God. No, uh, they don't absolve people's sins. No, they don't ordain others. No, they don't, um, you know, pray the anaphora the way the priest and the bishop does. Um, but are preachers of the word. We um, we really must understand the role of deacons that way. Skipping down, uh, they are bound, therefore, to avoid all grounds of accusation as they would do fire. Uh, if you're going to put on the cloth of God, you know, in your ministry, uh, don't be out there uh, acting like a used car salesman, shorted of it. You know, that doesn't mean you could have never committed a sin. That doesn't mean you could not have been a terrible, wicked, horrible person like each and every one of us are uh, in various ways before meeting Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you can have fallen after meeting Jesus Christ. But in the service of the ministry, we're avoid to uh, avoid grounds of occasion. And, you know, some some ways that this has been interpreted is, you know, this is why, uh, you know, deacons especially, which are very different um, from priests and bishops in the sense that uh, deacons are often self-supporting. So uh, should you be a deacon and own a strip club? Well, should you be a Christian and own a strip club? I think most people would say probably not. Um, but should you be a deacon and be involved in, um, you know, production of, movie series like Game of Thrones, all the vivid pornography that's in there. You know, should you be a deacon and be involved with, you know, various political parties and stuff like that, serving the interests of the state? Um, you know, there are all these questions that are eventually later parsed out in centuries. But, you know, for Ignatius, there's just this basic sense of, like, avoiding the occasion of sin, um, and recognizing that how the world views you, while it can be mistaken, could be our choices putting us in those occasions. Uh, Christians, deacons, priests, bishops, it really is applicable to everybody, but in particular here he's, you know, talking about that being applicable to uh, you know, the clergy especially. You know, in like, skipping down to chapter 3, in like manner, let all reverence the deacons as an appointment of Jesus Christ, the bishops of Jesus Christ, who is the son of the Father and priests, as the Sanhedrin of God, the Assembly of the Apostles. Apart from these, there is no church. That's a pretty powerful statement. Um, that is why typically most Orthodox Christians and Catholic Christians would say that um, the Protestants don't have a church. Uh, that is, the Protestants who have rejected apostolic succession uh, don't have a church. You don't have a church without legitimate orders. Um, now, some would say, well, what about the Anglicans? And, you know, the Roman Catholics would get into this dispute with them. And I think at the end of the 19th century, there was an investigation of, you know, whether um, the Anglican Church did continue preserving, you know, the practice of ordaining the way that it had always been done, had been done in the Eastern and Western churches for the millennium, you know, before that. And I think the judgment was no. But, you know, this is why you'll find a lot of Catholic Orthodox circles will talk about Protestant communities, Protestant gatherings, you know, but they'll be careful not to say the word church. Um, sometimes I think Ratzinger, uh, back before he was elected, when he was um, prefect for the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, would call them like ecclesial-like communities. 
Um, and that's because if you don't have that succession, right, you know, whether you're in unity or not. So there's like the Oriental Orthodox, you know, that get into some of the early church heresies that have preserved down to this day, the Orthodox. You know, these are two, the Oriental Orthodox and the Eastern Orthodox are two large church communities, two large churches that are not in the Catholic community of churches. Um, but they're still called, they're still called churches, um, Catholic in that one sense, they're still called churches because they preserve that um, ordination and they preserve that, um, you know, that legitimate practice. And so um, you can kind of see that a little bit with Ignatius, but I don't want to go uh, too much more um, beyond that quote of like, well, this is why he says there's no church, there's no bishops, priests, and deacons. Skipping down to chapter five, am I not able to write to you of heavenly things? I fear to do so lest I should inflict injury on you who are but babes in Christ. Pardon me in this respect, lest not being able to receive such teachings or doctrines, you should choke on them. And, you know, what is he talking about here? You'll find a lot in the early church, particularly in the formation of, of uh, early converts, what they called catechumen. Uh, people in the first few years, right, would basically be taught the moral commandments and they'd be taught how to live the virtuous life as Christian converts. And then later, they would be slowly introduced into various levels and depths of doctrine because, you know, if, if you wanted to get, for instance, and take even somebody who may be a practicing Catholic or a practicing Orthodox, and you wanted to throw them into the middle of uh, the doctrinal debate over the energies of God between, you know, the Eastern Catholics and um Orthodox and uh, the Western Catholics, or if you want to get into various aspects of, of debate between the Western circles of the Dominicans and Franciscans, or even, you know, in some aspects of the Church Fathers with some of the teachings of origin or some of the stuff that we'll look in, like, you want to spend hours talking to people like that, um, and that's your primary focus, and they've not gone through grades one through ten, and you're trying to put them not only in 12th grade, but something like a graduate level course, uh, they're going to choke on them and they're going to not only not benefit a whole lot, um, but it's going to be very confusing. And so what he's talking about is that, you know, he's recognizing as, as, you know, a preeminent leader and father in the early church that he could write of amazing things, but he recognizes that he needs to try to meet them where they're at, you know, and obviously one of the challenges of a format like this with video-based podcasting, um, any type of educational series is you're you're trying to teach towards a medium. You're trying to hit people who may be more advanced, maybe people who are less advanced. Obviously, if you try to teach down to the bare minimum, uh, most of the people may be bored, or even those bare minimum people may not, you know, ever want to grow. And so there's obviously a difficulty in a group environment or a group format where sometimes you are talking over people's heads or you're appealing to things that they haven't learned. But, you know, he's saying definitely don't take you know, somebody who's a year into the church and say, let's get into a graduate level dispute on the nature of grace, you know, in Augustine's theories, right? Uh, especially in these commentators on Augustine. Um, as an example, I am still but a learner in other respects for many things are wanting to us. And, th and that's an amazing um, thing. He says, you know, without reference to such, you know, subjects and stuff like that, in particular, he's talking about the levels and places of angels and invisible realities and stuff like that. You know, he's still saying he's still a learner. And I think that's a, an aspect of humility. As much as we may know about one point of church history or scripture, we have a lot of areas that we we don't know. Skipping down to chapter six, abstain. Therefore, not I, but the love of Jesus Christ entreat you, but you use Christian nourishment only. Abstain from food of a different kind. And I mean heresy for those that are 
given to this, mix up Jesus Christ with their own poisoning, speaking things which are unworthy of credit, like those who administer a deadly drug and sweet wine, which he is ignorant of, greedily takes with a fatal pleasure leading to his own death. And again, his big issues there he was talking about was with the Greek philosophy and the teachings that matter was evil. And so, um, you know, how many of us think this is really a problem today? Whether that's liberation theology, you know, the rise of teachings of socialism, um, the rise of communism, you know, particularly in Marxism in our own uh, Western countries, you know, where we've seen a resurgence of that that was would have been unspeakable 60, 70 years ago. What about... Um, you know, other issues of just complete and utter relativism and things like that. So we want to be careful that when we try to, you know, appeal to and use these words to introduce people to Christian thought, that we don't mix it down enough and water down the gospel message the way that people were doing in Ignatius's day. Skip down to chapter 7. Be on guard against such persons. This will be the case if you're not puffed up. Continue to and continue in intimate union with Jesus Christ and the bishop and the enactments of the apostles. Uh, he that is within the altar is pure, he is without is not. He that does anything apart from the bishop, priests, and deacons, such a man is not pure in his conscience. And so, you know, again, like his whole conception here of the church is, um, you know, one bishop leading his church. Now, obviously, if anybody has read through John's uh, Apocalypse or Revelation, um, you'll find that bishops and priests, you know, and deacons can fail. And you know, John, at the very beginning part of that, gives exhortation to, you know, communities and threatening them, though, your, you know, your lampstand will be taken from you, from your airing and stuff like that. So, you know, I want you to ask the question, well, you know, what happens if our bishop and priest and deacon and stuff like that, you know, errs seriously? Um, what would Ignatius think about that? I think it, it would be pretty safe to say that, obviously, the, you know, the, the tradition of the church would come first and, you know, the, the clergy are not, you know, and, you know, are not perfect. They're able to fall much as Judas did. I mean, what would you do if Judas was your bishop? Yeah, let's imitate that. Don't be apart from Judas. No. No. Um, but he's talking about here, you know, just this, this whole conception of unity and avoiding unnecessary dissents and stuff like that in factions. Now, obviously, he's not talking about, you know, greater issues of conflict when bishops would leave the faith as would, you know, Arius, you know, and his teaching that Christ was a creature and stuff like that. Later, church history would show that. But in this first century, you know, we can see that during this initial founding and, and development of the church that, you know, unity was was everything and avoiding all sorts of controversy and stuff like this, you know, particularly before more, more specific teachings were defined at local councils or ecumenical councils that, you know, when matters not settled by the church, you know, try to give deference to the bishop, um, Chapter 8, give no occasion to the heathens, lest by means of a few foolish men, the whole multitude of those that believe in God would be evil spoken of, right? Like, how many of you guys can find examples of this, right? With, you know, whether that's the, the scandals of the past century. Uh, I mean, look at the Boy Scouts. People like to say, well, look at the scandals in the Catholic churches and stuff like that. Well, look right now in the past year with the, the Patriarch of Moscow and his whole endorsement of holy war against, you know, Ukraine and the whole cover-up of everything evil that's Putin doing. I mean, how many people are scandalized the Russian Orthodox Church because of that? What about, um, you know, the uh, the Boy Scouts of America and their scandal that makes, you know, the Catholic Church look like a drop of water in a bucket? You know, Boy Scouts of America, um, predominantly uh, affiliated with, with large Protestant communities and stuff like that, 
you know, that gives a huge scandal. All three of those are great examples. Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant of huge scandals to Christ and how people outside the world, such as myself as a Marxist atheist for a number of years, would look at that and go, man, I don't want any part of this. Because, you know, at that point, simple people don't want to distinguish teaching from action. They don't want to distinguish truth from from bad behavior and recognize that, you know, Christ is not present in evil, that Christ's teachings uh, should not be reviled because of people who don't follow them. Let's skip down to chapter 9. Stop your ears, therefore, when anyone speaks to you at variance with Christ, who is descended from Mary, also uh, from David, who was truly born, ate and drank, truly persecuted under Pontius truly crucified, truly died in the sight of beings in heaven on earth and under the earth, truly raised from the dead, his father quickening him. Who he's talking about, you know, you know, Christ's coming was a historical, physical reality. He was not a ghost. He was not some phantom. You know, he wasn't Casper the friendly ghost. You know, Jesus the friendly ghost. You know, he wasn't none of that. Uh, he was an actual human being that historically lived. Um, it was a divine person long before that uh, who took upon that humanity, you know, from David, from Mary. Skip down to chapter 12 before we finish this uh, epistle, where it becomes every one of you, especially the priest, to encourage the bishop to the honor of uh, the Father of Jesus Christ, the apostles. I pray, hear me, that I may not, by having written, be a testimony against you. And so what he's saying is that you know, I've encouraged you of all of these things. And if you disregard my words, then, you know, this will be a testimony against you. You will have no more excuse like Christ said. You know, if I hadn't come, if I hadn't said these things, you might, you may have an excuse. But now that I've come and I've said these things, you have no excuse for persisting in any issues or, or factions that uh, Ignatius has talked about. And we have this conclusion here. Farewell in Jesus Christ, while you continue to be subject to the bishop as command of God, like manner to the priests, and every man love one another with an undivided heart. Let my spirit be sanctified by yours, for I am as yet exposed to danger. So what is he talking about here? So, you know, obviously, you know, how beautiful and how difficult is it for us to love another human being, especially wicked people with an undivided heart? You know, yeah, I love you. Eh, I just don't have to like you. How, you know, how conflicting is that with the gospel message? What else is he talking about here? Or for, for I am as yet exposed to danger. He's saying that his his race, like he's a prisoner on his way to Rome to die for being a Christian. Um, but he still views, and I'm sure he's witnessed personally, um, people who have abandoned the church and the faith. And so that fear is in the back of his mind. Who knows where we're going to be found at the last moment of our life? Um, that's something that, that we should really take to mind and and learn from ourselves that attitude of you know constant perseverance and persistence and not you know avoiding presumption and not just saying hey everything's good man i believe in jesus i'm good i got don't worry about something else and you know what was paul's word you know take heed lest you fall so that kind of concludes our our epistle to the uh Trallians. Once again, this is your host, Christopher, of the Ukrainian Fire Chaplain Show. If you have not already, go ahead and look at our website, theufcshow.com. It's got information about us and ways that you can follow, subscribe, or support us. We're on various podcast platforms. We're on Facebook and YouTube. And if you're able to, consider supporting us on Patron. Also want to give a shout out to Daniel Atchison, the music artist Atch, for permission to use his song forever in our productions. Until next time.
would like to offer my special thanks to the Antiochian Orthodox Choir Group, Incense, for letting us use their song, The Great Perkimenon. You can find links to their music in the description.